welcome to the show. So glad that you are here. Look, while you're here, go ahead, send a text message to somebody, a friend or a friend of me. Tell them the best hour of the day is on Unbossed. And my God, do I have the fantastic captain of the Dragon Squad himself, <laughs> John Adiola. John, how you doing today, darling? I am very happy to be here. I'm already feeling better. Oh, very good. You are the captain. I don't know, are you the general of the Dragon Squad or what? Uh, it depends if we're on a war footing. I would prefer <laughs> to just be an organizer and maybe an organizer. Like a supporter, but but I can lead troops if necessary. If necessary. Well, all of you must join John and the rest of the Dragon Squad on the damage report, baby. You got to do that. I am Black Pearl Dragon. I'm proud of my <laughs> dragon name. John doesn't like me to mention his, so I won't. And we got an <laughs> excellent, and I mean excellent show for you today. Ben Shapiro is on another planet. We can only hope that he was on another planet. Congress is sending a weed bill to President Biden. It's a light start, but I'm glad that they're getting started. And Carly Lake, of course, is denying her election loss. No surprise there. Let's start with Shapiro. Aliens hate gay people. Watch this. The argument for marriage has literally nothing to do with religion. You could be an, an, a visitor from, from Mars and, and you could see all of human procreation relies on man, woman, child. This is not particularly difficult stuff. By essentially boxing in the argument in favor of traditional marriage into, well, if you're a crazy religious believer, maybe we'll let you have that. But you know, if you're if you're baking, a, if you're a cake baker, then we're not sure about that, right? I mean, like we're not sure how far this this religious liberty thing extends. I want to give you my apologies for making you watch that, but we cannot make this stuff up. So what you just unfortunately watched was Ben Shapiro claiming that even visitors from Mars would be anti-same-sex marriage. Because of course, he knows with all the visitors coming from Mars, what they believe, what they think, and also what they feel. Aliens, he's saying that aliens would be anti-gay marriage. The man said that, John, we are not in the twilight zone. This is real. So, so what has been saying? I mean, he's basically saying that procreation is the only reason for marriage. So if you're infertile or you can't have kids, but that means that you can't get married. Or let's say maybe you don't want children, you can't get married. Benny's argument is empty and it's certainly Benny, Benny. Yeah, empty and it's riddled with holes, John. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of problems there, as you point out in terms of infertility. But also if the only point of it is to procreate, first of all, why would you need a legal recognition of a relationship to procreate? You clearly don't, people have kids without marriage, so that's pointless. But then, okay, what about once you stop wanting to have kids? So Ben has kids, do you still want kids, Ben? Because if not, then time to get divorced. What's the point? It's really just about procreation. You're done with that part, so move on with your lives. But no, the, the issue there is he is very specifically trying to pretend that his views on marriage aren't 100% informed by whatever it is that he was told by his religion growing up. And he clearly doesn't understand that what marriage represent represents, what rights it comes with, what you know relationship to your family it brings. Um, isn't just different than his ideal version of it, but it differs between countries and throughout time. What it means to be married is not the same now as it was 20 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. There are many different forms of it, and he's just not open-minded enough or curious enough to be familiar with basically any of them. Not at all. And you know, he made these comments the same day that the United States Senate voted to advance a bill to protect federal marriage rights for same sex couples. Take a look at this headline, same-sex marriage rights bill clears a crucial Senate hurdle. Democrats made the same-sex marriage bill one of the first major agenda items in the post-election season, moving quickly to enact it while their party still controls both chambers. Good on them. Now, 12 Republicans joined Democrats to advance the Respect for Marriage Act. Let's take a look at this, the 62 to 37 vote, which came only days after the midterm election in which Democrats retained control of the Senate but lost the House to Republicans. Was a rare and noble last gasp of bipartisanship by the lame duck Congress. That's coming from the New York Times, wow. And a reminder that Clarence Thomas still has his 
eyes set on same-sex marriage and other things post overturning Roe v. Wade. Clarence Thomas opinion signals same-sex marriage contraception at risk after abortion ruling. Thomas says other rights not stated in the constitution on the table. Alito says overturning Roe doesn't affect other precedents. And we got some going, some back and forth going between the justices there. But Justice Thomas seems very clear about the mayhem and foolishness he wants to get into. So while this passage is great, don't let those numbers slip by. 37 senators voted against this bill. Too many names for a graphic, but take a look at this scroll. We're gonna scroll these names. Yes, we are. They're scrolling. Any of your favorite players on there, John? I noticed Ted Cruz. I see Josh Hawley. He's racing by as if it's January 6th once again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can see Lindsey Graham, Chuck Grassley. Yeah, it's basically who you'd expect. Yeah, the same, the usual suspects. Oh, wait, did you catch Mitch McConnell's name on that list? Mm-hmm. Uh, there it is. Well, this is odd because this bill also protects. And the reason why we're singling out Senator Mitch McConnell, because this bill also protects interracial marriages as well. Hmm. The Respect for Marriage Act seeks to gird against any challenges by requiring the federal government to recognize marriages that have already been granted by states and guarantee that couples are free from discrimination regardless of their sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin. Thank you, Financial Times. Which, spoiler alert, Senator Mitch McConnell just happens to be in an interracial marriage, if you didn't know that. Here, you're hearing it now for the first time on Unbossed. Mitch McConnell has been married to Elaine Child, the former US Secretary of Transportation and the first Asian American woman to have that job since 1993. She was born in Taiwan and moved to the United States as a child. This is crazy. And I tell you, John, I am getting the vibe of loving versus Virginia right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, it, it would seem like the sort of thing where just out of self-interest, you would maybe support protections for the right. sort of union you're in. But I don't know. I, I don't we we can't expect too much out of them. Like Herschel Walker was perfectly happy to encourage people to have abortions, then it's fine to strip away the right. Mitch McConnell knows that his marriage is never gonna be at risk. He feels very comfortable, very safe and secure. He just doesn't feel any need to extend that feeling of safety and security to other people. And so we we have to acknowledge at the same time that 37 senators still think they need to stand against something that has already been the law of the land for multiple years, that no conservative can articulate what our problem is supposed to be with same-sex marriage, let alone interracial marriages, but they still feel like they have to stand against it. But at the same time, it wasn't that many years ago when Democratic presidential candidates wouldn't even come out in support of same-sex marriage. And so you've had progress, relatively quick progress, but really only on one side of the aisle. And then a few people on the other side that are willing to stand with the vast majority of Americans who have no problem with this at all. That's right, they, they, they are certainly not evolving with the times of religious beliefs notwithstanding. Don't legislate your religious beliefs. And you know what, John, I have some advice for them. I mean, if they don't want to be in a same sex marriage, don't accept the proposal. Yep. You know, I mean, <laughs> that just clears that right on up. Mm-hmm. Just don't just make say, the save the date, don't order the cake. That's it. Don't, don't actually order the have cake. to get married. It's, it's not that hard. It's, it, it's just really, these folks are very much behind the times. And it, it's not just that they're behind the times, but they hold power. That is the ultimate problem here that they hold the power. So we're gonna keep on pushing, we will keep up with this. McConnell, 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 Lord have mercy, hypocrisy. Your hypocrisy knows no bounds. Well, the weed bill, Oh yeah, it's a little, not enough, but it is a start. So a new era in federal cannabis policy has started after the Senate passed a bill to expand medical marijuana research. Good on them. Let's take a look at this headline, Congress sends first weed bill to Biden. 
passage of the legislation signaled a new era in federal cannabis policy. It's the first standalone marijuana related bill approved by both chambers of Congress. Hello, somebody, I, I'm, I will cheer for this, even though it certainly does not go far enough. And they are still out of touch with the majority of the people in this country, but here we are. So this is the first standalone bill, this is a very good thing. So what does it mean? The bill which will make it easier for scientists to conduct medical marijuana research and protect doctors who discuss the benefits and the drawbacks of using the drug with their patients. Now here's a reminder, marijuana is still categorized as a schedule one drug, the same as heroin still is on that schedule one. It needs to be descheduled, needs to be decriminalized, just totally federally decriminalized. So schedule one substances are classified as having no medical benefit and a high propensity to addiction. We know that that is not the case for marijuana and many states in this union, meaning the United States of America have already legalized medicinal marijuana, that people can use marijuana for medical purposes. The only level of government that is behind the times is the federal government and we need them to get with the program. So this also means, but before this bill, it was very difficult for people to get research. So this is indeed a good thing. I'm not trying to make light of it, John. And let's look at some stats for Americans that smoke weed for whatever reason they smoke in the ganja. For whatever reason, they're puff puff passing. For whatever reason, they're eating them gummy bears. They're doing it. How many Americans smoke weed? And look at that. It's a beautiful thing, John. Yeah, I, I'm surprised those numbers are as low as they are, honestly. And that they haven't significantly risen, even though we were told that legalizing it in different states would lead to tons of people trying it. I actually would believe that it would lead to more use, but apparently we don't see it there. At the same time, though, Let's not minimize the harm of marijuana, okay? It's easy for progressives to pretend that there's no downside. But just last night, I foolishly, naively drank some of a carbonated marijuana beverage. And right after that, my <sighs> wife put on the new film, The Wonder. And inside of 20 minutes, I was so warm and cozy and comfortable that I fell asleep. And I found out when I woke up that I had missed an amazing performance by Miss Florence Pugh. So I lost that and I can never get it back. And that's all due to marijuana. So is it a gateway drug? Yes, to slumberland, okay? And there's a cost to that, Nina. John, I came with you right now. I cannot, I'm trying to oh, hold in my laughter. Oh, the cry, the shame on you, John, shame on you. Oh. They're coming to get you for that, you know? I mean, marijuana makes people giddy, makes people want to want to eat, I'm told. I don't, I don't have any experience yet, but that's, what I hear from the people who indulge in it, what a wonderful world it would be, you know, if people just wanted to sleep and eat after this thing. <laughs> so if people don't believe it's a dangerous drug, let's put up this graphic right here. Marijuana risk of harm perception among young adults. Mm -mm, just not there. Yep. Young adults know, they know. And some research that has been conducted in the last decade and anecdotes from thousands of patients around the country suggest that cannabis may have medical usefulness for certain medical conditions. And I do know people, John, who do use marijuana for medical purposes, and it does give them tremendous relief from pain. And so why would we want to keep that from people, you know? And marijuana certainly does not trigger people in the same way that alcohol does, John. So this is really still an empty argument. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad that you've sort of put back to back these two topics because the opposition to same sex marriage and then the related opposition to interracial marriage, which most people won't admit to, but in polls you do see some people. And then the opposition to marijuana, it's largely the same thing. It's people who don't understand the topics that they feel strongly about and feel like them abstaining from those things is not enough that they have to like a sort of all encompassing national Karen stop everyone else from doing these things. And they never need to actually articulate what the supposed harm of a couple getting married or someone smoking a joint is. It's on you somehow to prove 
that these things should be acceptable. And that is not how legislation is supposed to work. John, you are rolling hard today. The national Karens <laughs> of marijuana. They want to get involved. They always want to get involved. They always got to call the manager. This is what this is about, right? Calling the manager on folks. Yep. But perceptions are changing. They really are. And again, this is a light start, but I'm glad that the Congress is doing this. Passage of the medical research bill by unanimous consent signals that perceptions about marijuana are changing. While expanded research is arguably the most conservative action, right? We gotta say that. Congress could take on marijuana. It is something that would have been unthinkable a decade ago. So we are making progress. We gotta go faster because the states, many of the states have already done this both for recreational purposes and municipal purposes. And the federal government is behind the time. Another working, after working on the issue, of cannabis reform for decades, finally the dam is starting to break. Yeah, it really, really is. I wanna thank all of the leaders who were in even just on this small part. And the start of the change happened this October. Let's put up this headline, share it with the folks. Biden pardons thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession, orders review of federal pot laws. That is really good, the president did asked you know, attorney generals across the country to join them in that. Some people are taking local action really good. Let us not forget that there are still people suffering some penalty. Uh, most of them are on the state and a local level. So we must go further and we must go faster. Again, a good start for the president, but certainly not all that can be done. And this doesn't stop the arrest though. Let's put this up. After Virginia legalized weed, for example, federal judge, that doesn't stop the arrest though. After Virginia legalized weed, marijuana arrest overall dropped. Black adults still accounted for nearly 60% of the marijuana related cases. Black people account for 20% of the population, but still being arrested at higher rates. So we got a lot of work to do. This war on drugs is definitely racialized, John. Nobody can deny that it is that black and brown people suffer disproportionately. You know, I, I recently had on one of my dear friends and mentors, the amazing Ben Cohen, one of the co-founders of Ben and Jerry's, and he shared the story about how him and his friends were out there puff puff passing. The police stopped them. You know, they thought that it was gonna be over for them, but it wasn't. And he says very clearly, it was not over for them because they were white. And you know what their ticket, they got a ticket and the ticket was for littering, littering, not for having possession of marijuana. So love me some Ben Cohen for sharing that story and and saying that if it had not been for that, had he been black, Ben and Jerry's probably would not be Ben and Jerry's. Well, we'll be right back, don't you go anywhere. Call some folks though while we're on break. Welcome back to the show, our favorite part, viewer comments. We're gonna start with our TYT members, Mo Fleury. Shapiro talks so fast that you can literally watch him trip over his teeth. <laughs> that was pretty good. On Twitch, Ellie Estros, Black Dragon, we need a Q&A with Nina. I want all her her story. Oh, that's so sweet, her her story. Thank you so much for that. We might do that one day. And on YouTube Super Chat, Super Saint, Black Pearl Dragon and Daddy Dragon. <laughs> John, I'm laughing because I know you don't like your dragon. I don't mind it that much. I know it's okay, it's okay. Okay, it's okay. No dispensation, you can, you can say it. Okay, Super Saint, Black Pearl Dragon, and Daddy Dragon rock the house. I know that's right. Thank you, Super Saint. We do appreciate that so very much. And we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for what you do for Unbossed and for TYT Network. Let us not forget, Brittany Griner is still in Russia. And we have to continue to fight and pray and lift and push to get her back home. Do not forget that if you use social media, hashtag we are BG, we are BG. And our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi, you can help us at TYT by going to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. So what's next, next for student debt? I'm so glad that you asked. President Joe Biden's student debt forgiveness plan has been blocked. The fate of millions of 
Americans now sit in Biden's hands. Last week, we talked about this development. Let's put up this headline. Federal judge in Texas declares Biden's student debt relief plan unlawful. But this isn't too shocking considering Biden's plan has been the subject of several lawsuits. If you can believe that, that people have nothing better to do but to try to mess with other people's lives. I mean, it's kind of similar to what John and I were talking about before the break, making all kinds of negative mischief. Conservative state attorney generals have been making this kind of mischief. So what are the lawsuits about? So the plaintiffs in Texas, in the Texas case, are two individuals backed by conservative organization, Job Creators Network Foundation, who alleged that forgiveness plan unfairly excludes them and therefore should not be allowed because yeah, it's all about them. But thanks to the great work of, of Ken, we know that this plaintiff only believes in loan forgiveness when it applies to them. Let's put up what Ken tweeted. Breaking, a federal judge has struck down Biden's student debt forgiveness program after a plaintiff filed suit alleging it was unfair to people who didn't qualify. But the plaintiff is a business owner who had 47,000, almost $48,000 in PPP loans forgiven in 2020, just dripping with hypocrisy, yeah. And what does this mean for borrowers who applied for forgiveness? So essentially this just means that you will be waiting a little longer. The administration says it's holding on to the 26 million applications it has already received for forgiveness, adding that 16 million of those have already been approved and forwarded to the loan servicers. All these people, I just cannot believe it. But meanwhile, this court ruling has halted the applications. The education department is no longer accepting applications for relief because of the court ruling. More than half of eligible borrowers have already signed up. So the update though with this challenge, Biden is considering extending the freeze and that really is the right thing for him to do. This freeze started under President Donald J. Trump, if you can believe that, it really did. And so that power to continue freezing the student loans are there despite the court challenges. And so people familiar with the matter, as the legal vulnerability has become clearer and clearer, the White House has been making increasingly firm plans to extend the loan repayment pause. The extension we're likely to see is meant to make sure borrowers don't have the rug pulled out from under them rather than an indefinite replacement for loan forgiveness. Oh, but even worse, let's put up this headline. Biden administration warns of historically large increase in student loan defaults without debt forgiveness. So the fate of these borrowers are in the hands of the President of the United States since the courts are up to mischief, John. Yeah, there's a lot of layered issues here in terms of the the historic increase in defaults that they're talking about there. I mean, we're, we're still very much like people haven't economically recovered from the pandemic. That is definitely true. People are still losing their jobs. Inflation is hurting people, the rise in the cost of rent. Um, that's That's all true. But then at the same time, like think about how many people heard a couple of months ago that this debt cancellation is going to happen. They might have already gone through the application process. And they've also begun to live their lives based on the expectation that that's going to happen, which could include changing your job, moving to a different part of the country. Spending habits might have changed as well. And so those people are now being blindsided by the possibility that thanks to this corrupt judge, it could be taken away. So that could lead to more defaults that wouldn't have existed before this whole process began. The entire thing is ridiculous. The legal argument that's being made by this plaintiff is absolute BS. Not only, as you pointed out, as Ken points out, the hypocrisy when they've already had you know more debt canceled via the PPP program than most people ever will from the student debt program, but also the idea that that they're only mad about this because it's unfairly excluding them. That is absolute BS. First of all, it's by definition not unfairly excluding them since he, according to the administration, doesn't have the legal authority to cancel private loans. So it's by its very nature fair, he's doing everything he can. But also the conservative organizations that are propping up this lawsuit don't want any cancellation under any conditions. And so this is totally BS. 
The only reason it's even made it as far as it is because it's because they found the right judge. A judge who based purely on ideology, not on any sort of judicial philosophy is gonna temporarily give them the win. The question is going to be, how will the Supreme Court rule on that? And I think we have a hunch. The Supreme Court has not universally been terrible over the past few months, but I do worry about the possibility they could knock this down. Yeah, I worry too, and I'm sure the millions of people who have been waiting for this relief worry as well. Well, the president can continue to extend the pause, glad that he is going to do that. And we gotta keep pushing and that Congress needs to act as well. Carrie Lake goes all in on the election lie. Yes, she does, she just cannot let go. It's so hard to say goodbye, watch this. Arizona, Carrie Lake here. I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that I am still in this fight with you. For two years, I've been sounding the alarm about our broken election system here in Arizona. And this past week has confirmed everything we've been saying. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house, and because of that, voters have been disenfranchised. When we raised concerns and I filed a lawsuit months ago to get rid of the electronic voting machines, they said we were crazy. Well, it turns out we were right. I don't know, Carrie, were you right about you all being crazy? I don't, (laughs) you know, we can take that the whole bunch of ways. But uh, this all continues. Take a look at this. On election day, nearly half of all polling locations had problems with tabulating machines and printers. Malfunctioning tabulation machines forced voters to wait in line for hours to exercise their sacred right to vote. I talked to voters who waited in line for hours. One man told me he went to a location and there was a three hour line because the tabulators weren't working. He drove 15 miles to another location and the printers weren't working. He drove another 15 miles and was finally able to cast his vote, but he's not sure it counted. Our election officials failed us miserably. And I can promise you one thing, this fight to save our Republic has just begun. I love you, Arizona. And I love you, America. The fight to continue trying to figure out if somehow you can try to overturn the results of this election. Carrie, this is what this is all about. You're not some voting rights champion, not at all. So on Monday, Monday, Katie Hobbs was declared the winner and will be elected as Arizona's next governor. But that's not going to stop Carrie Lake from screaming from the rooftops that her race was rigged. And we know this was coming because on multiple occasions, I mean, Carrie has been clear. A Lake, a Trump-backed candidate, sidestepped questions about whether she would accept the results of her election. Election Day, Lake has called election officials incompetent. They're incompetent, of course they are, because Carrie Lake says so. Check out this headline from October of 2022. In an interview, Arizona Governor candidate Carrie Lake says, I don't have faith. In the election system, she was setting the play right then and there. Carrie was planning this from the start and she's going to carry it through. So when Hobbs was rejected the winner, this is what Lake tweeted. Arizona's no BS when they see it. They do carry, they know yours. That's why they didn't vote for you. Uh, gotta highlight this hilarious response to Carrie. And they certainly saw it in you and voted for your opponent. Phew. Really dodged the bullet there. David, I was thinking the same thing. It had not. I'm right with you, baby, on that. Either way, Carrie has been added to the graveyard of election denying losers. Let's put up their smug shots. At least 120 ah. lost. A larger portion, about 40% of that group that lost, denied the 2020 election or 2020 results outright. John, I'm going to let you have this. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I think she probably has a good future, at least in Republican primaries, Republican media is she advances all the same conspiracy theories, but she doesn't sound as crazy as like a Donald Trump. Like when he does what she just did there, he doesn't start off with a hi Arizona, Harry Lake here. I just wanted to talk to you about she's got like that local news voice, which really sells the conspiracy theories. Um, but once you get beyond the voice, it kind of falls apart pretty quickly. Uh, so her idea 
is that the election was stolen in a state with a Republican House and a Republican Senate and a Republican governor. For some reason, though, that state managed election, which was managed by Republicans, robbed her while at the same time, other Republicans won statewide, multiple Republicans won congressional seats. There was even one where the guy, I think his name is Schweiker, he won by like 0.86%. Seems like it would have been relatively easy for the Democrats to steal if they were in the business of stealing Arizona elections. So there's no validity to the claim that her election was stolen. She's legally allowed to challenge it. And I don't even disagree with all of what she said. I don't think secretaries of state should be managing their own elections. Not I because agree. they will steal it, but just because it seems weird. But did she have a problem with Brian Kemp doing the exact same thing just a few years ago? I kind of doubt it. I don't like that that the machines are going down or the lines might be long, but it is hardly the position of the Republican Party that more funding needs to go to stopping that. The only funding they want to put into the election systems is voter ID. They're the ones moving machines out of areas, especially urban areas. So I would love to fix those problems that she has. I don't think she's interested in solving them outside of the context of her own election, though. I'm right with you. I'm float. I'm floating on that on the boat with you on that, John. I, I was a bit disturbed, not a bit. I hated to see those long lines, and so that should not have been the case because we shouldn't make people wait hours to vote. Just should not do it. And you are right. I do agree that the recusal Hobbs should have recused herself flat out. People should not be running their own elections. So, Carrie, you can keep that. You know, if you want to be a champion for voting rights, please, by all means, join some of the voting rights champions. It's room in the end for you. For that, I don't know, John. I see a vice presidency looming. I swear I do. I know somebody's gonna put her on the ticket. That's that's what she's auditioning for right now. Y'all stay tuned. Now you heard it here on Boss. I don't know if it's first, but you heard it right here. She will be a vice presidential candidate. Coming to a neighborhood near you real soon. All right, we're taking our second break. We'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back. Viewer comments to our TYT members, Cena Hogabloom. Wow, what a liar with an exclamation point. Did she just say he drove to another polling place? Oh. What does she not understand about the concept of voting <laughs> districts and the polling places for the particular district? What? Tina, you bring up a very good point. On Twitch, who's a fix? And I probably messed up your little nickname. Please forgive me. Love me. Anyway, I've been slaving over my PSLF, and they're talking about their student loans crap for more than a decade. I'm so sick and tired of this. Now that it was transferred, I can't get any information about the status of my application. So sorry to hear this. This has been a very hard process from beginning to end. And what the courts are doing is definitely making it worse. You hang in there, okay? And then on YouTube Super Chat, we got Zeke Fox. Then instead of bringing guns to polling locations, try bringing some tech crews. (laughs) Yeah, how about that? That is a thought, bring the tech crews. Instead of the guns, I'm all with you. Starbucks Red Cup Rebellion. We were out there today in the field. Watch this. So I am here in Cleveland Heights, in Cleveland, Ohio. Not my first time to this store. I was working out this morning and noticed workers were out here. It was dark outside and I said to myself, I am going to come back. We are at the corner of Lee and Mayfield in Cleveland Heights, the greater Cleveland area. And we have some of the Starbucks workers here. They are on strike. They have shut the store down. As you can see, ain't no business happening today because they are out here standing up for themselves. Yeah, that was yours truly out in the field on the scene. Please, I will not give up my day job. I don't think I did a very good job, but I tried to capture as much as I could. And why they were striking is very clear. Take a look at this. Talk to us about, and I know this is happening all over the country. So you're talking to a national audience. Tell tell people why you're doing this. Well, we have over 100 stores striking today on Red Cup Day for Red Cup Rebellion because Starbucks refuses to bargain with us fairly. For 250 unionized stores in the country, not one of us has negotiated a contract for our union. That is awful. We cannot work under these conditions, so that is why we are on strike today. 
It is awful, she's absolutely right. And here we are, one of her colleagues, she lays it down, watch this. I would like to see Starbucks um, actually live up to what they claim they believe in. Um, you know, like they call us partners and it feels pretty shallow when they're not willing to see us on an equal level. I know the CEO recently said that we are ruining his life's work. <laughs> And I think that if his life's work depends on us not getting living wages, then maybe it's good that it's not realized. Supporting our customers and helping get their day started. We love working here. It's just, we need some of that support back, especially from corporate Starbucks. We would love to see some more livable wages, you know, for one, and, you know, stopping the unfair labor practices. Yeah. Now, they're not asking for too much. I can tell you being out there with them, it is cold as heaven out there. And they are making that sacrifice, not just for themselves, but for other partners that hopefully will come behind them and enjoy the fruits of the labor of this current workforce. They are protesting and striking all over the country. I do have my little, I got my red cup here. Well, let me turn this thing around. Yes, have my red cup. But it was, it was, you know, I felt the solidarity with them, as I mentioned in the recording. It's not my first time going to that store and standing in solidarity with them. What are some of your thoughts about what they're doing and what Starbucks partners are doing all over the country? Yeah, I actually had a couple of questions about that because you mentioned that it was cold. We could hear in the first video the wind whipping through. And so, like, I'm trying to imagine what it's like to stand out there for hours and hours trying to raise awareness about this. How bad were the conditions? Very bad. I mean, I so much so that off camera, I said to them, please do not stay out here and get frostbite because it is a possibility if you're out there that long. And they assured me that they were taking shifts. But to have people out there in that kind of inclement weather, this is hard, hard work. And also when you strike, you don't get paid. And I think a lot of people forget that, that workers that are standing up for these rights, better work conditions, better wages. They're doing it, not just for themselves, absolutely. They wanna reap the benefit of it, but the people that come behind them will also reap the benefits. But it was very cold, John. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I, I love that they, they've been able to get together an alliance of 100 different stores. That's gonna raise the odds that a lot of people are going to see this and start to think um, you know, about the conditions at Starbucks. The, the successful unionizations that have been going on for a, Maybe like a year and a half at this point has helped too. I think the the employee mentioned 250 stores. Yeah, just the union at this point. I had not yes. realized it had actually gotten up nearly that much. I still thought it was around 50 or 60. That has been amazing in a short period of time, and yet all throughout they've faced a lot of opposition. They mentioned the CEO there. He has said so many incredibly insulting and condescending things, but them ruining his life's work like. As she said, you get to decide, is your life's work going to be exploitation? You seem That's to think true. that that is a successful life's work, is grinding your workers down and extracting like from a coffee bean everything that you need from them. But they're full on people and the the life's work you refer to, you've worked, sure. I'm sure he's been at the office a lot, but not a single cup would have been brewed if not for thousands and thousands of workers. You could, you could write down your mission statement for Starbucks and make a really pretty document as just one person. But that does not produce many lattes. You need the actual workers. It is not your life's work, it's many people's work. And they deserve to benefit from it in the same way that I'm sure he has for years. Yeah, they do and it definitely takes teamwork to make the dream work. He cannot do this all on his own. You know, great, he had a vision. He executed that vision, but he executed it with a lot of folks. And the reason why Starbucks has expanded all across this nation is because of workers just like that. And again, they're not asking for too much. They're asking for better wages and for the right to unionize. And it's just something incredibly sinister about the way that he and the rest of management are comporting themselves when it comes to workers. Let's take a look at this headline, Jake Johnson from Common Dreams. Red Cup Rebellion, workers at 100 plus Starbucks locations strike to protest union busting. Thousands of unionized Starbucks workers at more than 100 locations. And as John pointed out, and as the partner pointed out, they're 
uh, folks are working really hard across the United States are walking off the job Thursday to protect the coffee to protest the coffee giants refusal to engage in good faith negotiations with stores that have voted to organize. And again, as she said, over 250 of them, this is not hard, just do it. What is wrong with what is wrong with them? A Workers United, the union representing thousands of Starbucks employees dubbed the national the nationwide day of action, the Red Cup Rebellion, a pro labor counter to Starbucks annual Red Cup day. And we know that the Red Cup day starts right before the holidays and they can draw a lot of money from this and that was very smart of the workers to do what they are doing. As Starbucks gives away free reusable cups to customers to mark the holiday season, striking employees nationwide are handling or handing out Starbucks Workers United branded cups to build public awareness of the union drive and spotlight the company's aggressive and unlawful efforts to crush it. And again, I do have my little red cup that they gave me, John. Here it is right here. And also a hat too as well. I started to wear this hat the entire time, but you know, I'm not really a hat girl. But uh, <laughs> there it is. I, you like know, I think it's pretty snazzy. I don't know about Festive. you, John. I do. It's warm oh too, baby. I will be sporting this hat. They needed this hat. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they needed this hat today. And let's look at the Sunrise Movement tweet in solidarity with the Starbucks workers. Do not go to Starbucks today. Join us in standing in solidarity with Starbucks workers as they go on strike. Do not cross the picket line. The store that I went to was in fact not open because they didn't have enough people for the shifts. But as Sunrise points out, there are some locations that are open. So I'm hoping that for today, people will not cross that picket line and they will be in solidarity with the partners who are on strike. And Starbucks workers are calling the company out for its hypocrisy. One worker or partner put it this way, you cannot be pro LGBTQ, pro BLM, pro sustainability and anti-union. Yeah, how about that? The Red Cup Day, we're organizing for a voice on the job and a true seat at the table. Michelle is absolutely right. You can't be all of those things and be anti-worker. They don't go together. You know, Sesame Street, we learned this basic fact. One of these things do not belong. Hmm. Yeah, does not belong. So according to Starbucks Workers United, today's walkout is the biggest national effort taken on by Starbucks stores in the campaign's history. Good on them. And Starbucks executives are not making it easy for these workers to organize. The National Relations Board has asked a federal court, and this court is in Michigan, to step in to intervene. And what is the ask of the National Relations Board is to grant a cease and desist order that prohibiting Starbucks from firing workers who are unionized. And that is what they're doing, firing workers, yeah. So federal prosecutors also asked the court to reinstate and to reimburse a pro-union worker who was fired from one of the coffee giants and Arbor stores and to require a high ranking Starbucks official to publicly inform the store's employees of their rights under the National Labor Relations Act to pursue representation and collectively bargain for better conditions without fear of retaliation. That's why we need the PRO Act, John, yeah. that the Congress has failed to pass. Yeah, there's a list of things that it would have been great to reform the filibuster so the Democrats could have achieved over the past couple of years while they actually could do things. By the way, I want to mention I had a viewer sent this to me. According to one of the local unions, supposedly corporate Starbucks closed down Portland location at Middle and Exchange Street. They had just voted in favor of unionization. They are not supposed to be able to do this legally. And yet that only means anything if there are consequences sufficient to stop them from doing it again. And I'm sure they would love to send these strong signals to stop future stores from unionizing. So by the way, they've got 250 stores. That is still a small percentage of the total number of stores. Starbucks has way more than 10,000 US based locations. So it's been accelerating, but there's still a lot more to unionize. And they would love to stop it before it gets up into a significant percentage. Well, I hope that the the National Relations Board gets what it's asking for for these workers, and Congress needs to act swiftly. I mean, hell, even the Justice Department, whatever's nuts, because they're breaking the law, John, really. Mm-hmm. These Starbucks are breaking the law. They're not supposed to be able to do this, and they need some federal backup, but even state backup, too. I mean, the feds don't have to do it all. These states can jump in here, too, to protect these employees. We want the partners to keep on doing it. We are right there with you. Solidarity forever. 
Pentagon audits, let's look at these results. Yeah, we moving from coffee to the Pentagon. The Pentagon audit results, 27 total audit performed, seven received clean, unmodified air quotes reports, 26% passing grade. That's coming from stars and stripes. Auditors didn't even receive enough of the department's accounting records to make a complete assessment. And this isn't even the first time. So yes, the Pentagon that controls goo gobs, the technical term of money <laughs> cannot pass audits. It's the fifth consecutive time since the first yearly report in 2018 that auditors gave the Pentagon this assessment. They're not doing a good job. You may be asking, what about before that? Well, yeah, that was my question too. Before 2018, the Defense Department, which has assets worth more than two trillion with the T, underlined, bolded, underscored, and receives hundreds of billions of dollars from Congress each year had never been independently audited. Now, if you can wrap your mind around that, I don't know, John, if you wanna jump in on this part, you more than welcome to do so. Yeah, I mean, look, with, with the size of the budgets that we're talking about there, even a tiny amount of waste, let alone corruption, could be countless billions of dollars per year. And I'm assuming, look, they, they pointed out that there were a lot of failures there. And this is still a complex thing that's gonna involve many individuals, many contractors. You can hide a lot of waste even when it's being audited. Can you imagine the level of fraud and theft that was going on when decade after decade would go by with the only people doing the auditing being the people most likely to be in on the corruption in the first place. Just massive sums of money that we will never have an accounting of. Never, never know where that money went. I just can't even believe that this has been allowed all this time and that they just started audit, auditing them in 2018. Makes no sense to me. And some are bottom, you know, bottomless pits for tax dollars. There has still been no complete accounting at all, if you can believe that. But a lengthy, lengthy development of the F-35 Lightning II fighter jet, which is the world's most expensive weapons system. The department said earlier this year, the cost to develop and procure the jet had risen to more than $400 billion with a B underline underscore exclamation point. This is enough to make you wanna cuss, John, seriously. Yeah. Nobody else would be able to get away with this. No, no other country would require that much spending for the entirety of their defense, let alone one plane in their arsenal. Um, you know that that's expensive. The F-22 is separately insanely expensive. The V, the the Osprey is insanely expensive. You can look at the Challenger tank that thankfully was eventually canceled. Any one of these individual boondoggles is more expensive than the combined total defense spending of many other countries that have managed to exist without being conquered over the last few decades. We're choosing to waste this money because that money was wasted. We didn't get our money's worth, our military didn't get our money's worth, but someone got that money. They didn't deliver, they still got the hundreds of billions of dollars. That's and right. so credit to people like Bernie Sanders for initially pushing for these audits and continuing to be to push for consequences when they're failed. If not for people like that, we would never know about any of this. Never know, and organizations like Cold Pink, shout out to you. Ben Cohen, one of his life's work has been to draw attention to the bloated military budget and not the part of the budget that goes to the enlisted men and women and family and friends. We're talking about what goes to contractors. That's what we're talking about, but drop the mic. You can. Go and, and follow that on Twitter. So we need to know where the money goes because the budget is huge. Just look, take a look at the Pentagon budget. Pentagon's 2022 budget, $783 billion. Damn. Biden's requested 2023 budget, $813 billion. Plan spending over 10 years, $7.5 trillion. John, we we spend more on our military than like the next 10 countries combined. And most of those countries are our allies. Yeah, it's so crazy. That's why you constantly have uh, MSNBC and CNN spend hours every night saying, how can we afford this? Like, how can we actually afford this? It's just too much. It and really is too never much. never happens. Can we put up, the, no, it never happened. Can we put, but when we talking about forgiving student debt, 
you know, extending the child tax credit, yep. all of those little good things that help the people in the hoods where they misunderstood. Always want to know how we're gonna pay for it. Let's put up this graphic really quickly, a reminder of how other countries, how other countries, how we spend way more money than they do. I know I said it, but baby, I want you to see it. This is Peter and Peterson. Y'all see that? Do, do they see it, John? I want them to see it. Yeah. And just in case you're listening and not looking, China, India, United Kingdom, Russia, France, Germany, Saudi Arabia, Japan, South Korea, all of those countries combined $777 billion. Countries combined, yes, you heard me, nine countries combined, and the United States of America all by ourselves. 801 billion. It is a damn disgrace, it is what it is. We're gonna come back to this story, John. We're gonna do this again. So we're coming to our bone. It's bone time and it's backbone. And I want John to jump in here. I gotta rush my backbone today because all of our stories have been so, so good and impactful. I think the man to bring it on home for us today is none other than President Nelson Mandela. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. Many of you may know he was in prison for for you know well over 20 years because he was standing up against apartheid in South Africa against black South Africans, similar to what happened to black people in this country. We got our own type of apartheid, but let's put up this quote by him, I greet you all in the name of peace, democracy and freedom for all. I stand here before you not as a prophet, but as a humble servant of you, the people. Your tireless and heroic sacrifices have made it possible for me to be here today. I therefore place the remaining years of my life in your hands. Again, former president of South Africa, the first black African to be president in South Africa. Oh my God, we owe a great debt of gratitude to the one and only Nelson Mandela, President Nelson Mandela. May he rest in peace, but his spirit will forever linger on. We're taking that, John, with us. We're going to carry that with us. Yes, we are. And we're going to carry you too as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Unbossed. John, thank you for being a fantanimous. I just made that word up. <laughs> Co-host, because that's it. what you are. And I can't wait to have you back here with us on Unboss. Well, we want you to keep the faith. You know that all the time, keep the faith, but more importantly, keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.